before we get into Daniel chapter 3, I felt that there may have been a little bit left out from the very end of Daniel chapter number 2, or study that may have caused some confusion, because um, I had some people ask some questions concerning it after I was done with it. So I want to go over very quickly again um, one aspect of the statue in Daniel chapter number 2. Uh, when we were discussing earlier uh, last week concerning this, you'll notice that we see the empires of Babylon, we see the empire of Persia, Greece, and Rome. Each one of those are in um, the ancient history, the ancient past. But then we have another um, empire that we see. Um, it's formed in the feet of the iron mixed with clay. And we refer to this as the revived Roman Empire. This empire is still in the future. And there may be a question, now why do we see it coming immediately upon the Roman Empire? If there's a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand years difference between the two empires. And I want to quickly explain this to you with these two pictures. If you'll look, you'll see a, two pictures of two mountaintops in each picture. They're both being shown from two different viewpoints. If you notice, in the left picture, you'll see the two mountaintops as almost a direct head-on view. And when you look at it head-on, you can see the two mountaintops, but you cannot determine how far apart the two mountains are from each other. You can only see the distance between the two when you take another viewpoint. The viewpoint on the right, you can tell that these two mountaintops have a valley in between them. And that's the way Old Testament prophecy um, works. They see the mountaintops of prophecy. And if you look in this picture, you'll see the Old Testament prophet looking, and he can see Calvary, he can see the birth of Jesus, he can see the Antichrist, he can see the Millennial Kingdom. But he cannot see the distance of time between the two things. He's only seeing the mountaintops. He cannot tell you how far apart they are. And when it comes to Old Testament prophecy, here is a rule that will help you understand their viewpoint. The Old Testament prophet does not see the church age. The church age would be a valley between the mountaintops. He does not see it. He does not prophesy the church age. He has no concept of the church age. And this helps to explain the great gap in time between the Roman Empire and then the revived Roman Empire. The Old Testament prophet cannot see the church age, which lies, begins at the end of the Roman Empire, and then will run to the beginning of the revived Roman Empire. I hope that's a little bit helpful in understanding why there's no gap in Daniel's statue concerning these, and why there are no other empires mentioned, like the British Empire, or the Mongolian Empire, or other empires of history. The Old Testament prophet sees the future from a Jewish standpoint, not from a viewpoint of the church. And so he cannot see what goes on during the church age. Now we'll begin in Daniel chapter number 3, and we'll look at the story four men, the four men in the fire. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 3. We see Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. 
Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Now very interesting, if we understand Daniel chapter number 2, we've just finished with the story of Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream of a great image. And what do we see in Daniel chapter number 3? Nebuchadnezzar building his own great image. We may remember at the end of Daniel chapter number 2, Nebuchadnezzar recognizes Daniel's God. He says he is the great God. He's the only one who can do the things that were done in Daniel chapter 2. He worships him and he, he says great things about God. And many times the question comes up, was Nebuchadnezzar a, a believer? He was not a believer in biblical terms. Did he believe in Jehovah? Yes, he did believe in Jehovah. But he believed in every other God as well. He acknowledged the power of Jehovah, but he also acknowledged the power of other gods. We see the fact that his declaration of how great God is meant absolutely nothing and did nothing to his heart. When we look in chapter number 3 and we see in the very next chapter, he is building his own statue, his own image, his own idol for people to worship. This idol that Nebuchadnezzar would build was, according to the Bible, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Now, why did Nebuchadnezzar build this thing? Well, the answer is found in the next four verses. Five verses, excuse me. We see Nebuchadnezzar's attempt at a one-world religion. Nebuchadnezzar's attempt at a one-world religion. Listen to what he says in verse number 2. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes the governors and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, harp, sackbut, by the way, the sackbut, that would be like a trombone, okay? If you don't know what a sackbut is, an old name for trombone. The psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kind of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. So right here we see an attempt at a one world religion. He calls the children of, I mean, of all the world, including the Hebrews, and every other person in his empire, he calls them to the plain of Dura. And I like to point out parallels from Old Testament history and also parallels to New Testament history and New Testament prophecy. When we see this statement right here, he calls them to the plain of Dura. It's very interesting because when we look at the origins of Babylon, we don't see Babylon for the first time when we look in Daniel chapter number 3. Babylon, its origins are told in the book of Genesis. Have you ever heard of the Tower of Babel? 
the word Babel, the Tower of Babel, Babel is the root word of the city of Babylon. The events of the Tower of Babel occurred in the same place where Babylon would exist centuries later. And what's the story of the Tower of Babel? The, name, the word Babel itself comes from two words, the word Bob, which means gate, and the word El, which means God. And what they were trying to build in that tower was a gate to God. And we see man's labor, man's attempt at reaching God as literally and as physically as you could possibly do it. They're building a tower trying to get to God. All the peoples of the world come together for that project. And we see the, the failure of it and God scattering the nations. Now, millennia later, we see Nebuchadnezzar bringing all the people to the plain, the plain of Dura outside of Babylon. And he sets up his own image, his own idol. And he tells the world, this is the image that you're going to worship. This is the image that you will worship. Now, I showed you a parallel to the past. Let me show you a parallel now to the future. As we know, at the very end, that final one-world empire, that one-world system that we see in the book of Revelation is also called Mystery Babylon. It's referred to as the Great Harlot. Babylon the Great is what it's called in Revelation. Why is it referred to as Babylon, that system? The reason for it is because it's causing the world to turn away from the worship of the one true God and to worship man-made images, idolatry. That's what makes up the system of Babylon. It was founded on idolatry and it is run on idolatry throughout history. Look at Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 15. I'm just going to read verses 14 and 15 right here for us. It'll do us good just to read this. It says, And the beast deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying, To them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image of the beast, which, they had, wound, which had the wound by a sword and did live, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. What do we see here at the very end of the world? When we see in the, during the tribulation period, what we're going to see is an image set up and the world being called upon to worship the image of the beast. And if they do not worship the image of the beast, what is the consequence? death. Now does that sound familiar to what he says right here? Look at verse um, of Daniel chapter number 3. Look at verse number 6. Nebuchadnezzar says, And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth that same hour shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So we see in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar sets up his image. And he tells everyone, all peoples, all languages, everyone in his empire to bow down and worship the image. And if they do not, what is the consequence? Death. 
And isn't it amazing that at the very end of time, the Antichrist, the false prophet, they will set up an image of the beast and they will call the world to bow down and worship the beast and whosoever does not, what is the consequence again? Death. As in the book of Ecclesiastes that we're going to start studying um, this Sunday says, there is nothing new under the sun. Everything that you see today is not new. It has been going on throughout all time. Nothing new. It's interesting that the very first empire in Daniel's image sets up a one-world religion, at least attempts to set up a one-world religion, and we see at the very end the last of the empires trying to do the exact same thing. And this world is constantly trying to turn those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who follow and try to serve the one true God, they try to turn us every time away from God to something else. We need to be careful. It works on the world. Matthew Henry said this, There is nothing so bad which the careless world will not be drawn to by a concert of music or driven to by a fiery furnace. We talk about the horrors of this world. This week, we remember the, uh, what is it, the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, the horrors of the Holocaust coming into light, the knowledge of what had gone on. We wonder who in the world could have done those things so many years ago. It must have been a group of barbarians, correct? Do you realize that Germany, during the period before World War II, had the most college-educated people per capita of any nation in Europe? In fact, if you like to read books on the Bible, those scholars of old times, Usually, if you really wanted to get in-depth in it, you would have to know German because most of them, those old scholarly books on the Bible, were written in German. That's where the scholarship was in the late 1800s and early 1900s when it came to the study of the Bible. The scholars of the Bible were from Germany. Yet it's from this educated country that we see the horrors done. Understand, the United States can fall into the same trap. And if you're not careful, we can find people in our own churches go after horrible things. All it has to be done is just put it in the right light. Nebuchadnezzar did it with what? Music or a fiery furnace? A carrot or a stick to get everybody to do it? Today, how do they do it to us? Hollywood. Hollywood. You know, back in the 1990s, there was a woman by the name of Ellen DeGeneres. She's very famous now. Most of y'all know who she is. But she had a TV show. And during the 90s, she came out and said that she was a lesbian. And you know what happened to her television show? It was immediately canceled. Maybe not immediately, but in just a few weeks, the show was canceled. Americans understood there was something wrong with that. There was something evil about that that they did not approve of. Today, she's the most popular woman on daytime TV. What's changed in 20 years? 
They play the music. They give the carrot. And they still give the stick. And the world goes along with it. There's nothing new under the sun. The next thing we see is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's great test. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's great test. Let's look at verse number 7 of Daniel chapter 3. The Bible says, Therefore at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, um, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and all the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews, and spake and said unto the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee, they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now these Chaldeans are jealous of the position that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put into at the end of Daniel chapter number 2. And they sought to make an accusation against these three men. They noticed out of everybody bowing down, there were only three men who were still standing. And they were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Before I get into their great test of faith, the question rises, where's Daniel? Is he bowing down and worshiping the idol with everybody else? And that's a great question to ask. The answer, of course, is no. He's not bowing down and worshiping them. Daniel is not part of this group. Apparently, it's not mentioned in the Scriptures. Apparently, he was not in the group. He was somewhere else, probably doing the business of the king where he was needed somewhere else in the empire. And so he's not there that day to take part. But I assure you, if Daniel was there, there would be four men standing up. This is not a statement of a failure on Daniel's part. He's just not amongst the group that had to um, do this. Now, before we get into this test, I want you to understand this great event, in fact, this is the greatest event in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is what they're going to be remembered throughout all history for, correct? It just didn't just happen that they, allowed, that they came up and did this great thing. Hey, great... Um, great steps of faith um, always come from a process. Great steps were preceded by smaller steps. And if you want to do great things in the future, make sure you're doing the little things right now. Let me show you. First, there were other tests for Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego that preceded this one. Do you all remember when we were discussing Daniel chapter number 1 concerning the king's meat? and the king's wine, that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all four of them, made the decision they were not going to eat of the king's meat, they were not going to drink the king's wine, they were going to stay true to what the law of Moses had taught. They were going to be true to their God, they were going to be true to God's Word. They took a stand there on something small, 
Nobody really knew about that stand they took. Except for the man who was providing them the food. Nebuchadnezzar didn't even know. In fact, those Chaldeans who accused them had no clue about this step. This wasn't a public step. It was a private step. It was a step of faith. And it paid off. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says this, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold, that pre- I mean, than of gold that perishes, should through it be tried, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Our trial of faith. In order to have great faith, we have to take the little steps of faith in order to make great leaps. Not only did tests precede this one from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but also their faith was powered by a strong prayer life. Their faith was powered by a strong prayer life. Go back to Daniel chapter number 2. Last week, do you remember when Daniel wanted the interpretation to know what the dream was? Not only to be able to interpret it, but to know what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed in the first place. He didn't try to figure it out on his own like Jessica Fletcher in Murder, She Wrote from so many years ago. He didn't do something like that. He didn't try to figure it out with his own strength of mind. Instead, he besought the Lord. And he didn't pray by himself, Daniel did not. But he got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to join together with him and pray and ask God for help. It reminds me of Matthew chapter number 17 and verse number 20. We see in there the disciples trying to cast out a demon from a child and they're unable to do it. They bring the child to the master and the master immediately casts out the demon. Later on, the disciples come to Jesus and say, why could we not cast out that unclean spirit? And the Bible says in verse 20 of Matthew 17, And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. A lot of us say, when the time comes, when my life's on the line, I'm going to make a decision for Jesus Christ. I'm going to take the stand. Well, I'll tell you this right now. If you're not taking the stand on the little things, and if you're not seeking your relationship with Jesus Christ, speaking, communicating with Him through prayer, meditating upon His Word, now, when that great test comes, you're going to fall. Because you cannot do it on your strength alone. Why was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego able to accomplish such a great feat of faith. And the reason was, they took the smaller steps years before, and they constantly powered their life of faith through prayer. Let us follow their example. Now, in Daniel chapter number 3, verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar gets angry. 
The Bible says in verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they, sought these, and they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. Good. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful. I like that word, careful. That means I'm not anxious. I'm not worried. I'm not fearful. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, hear the king. The king's angry. He's furious in his rage. He gets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come. Every other time Nebuchadnezzar's been angry so far in the book of Daniel, he just goes right out and starts killing people. Remember, he gets angry at the Chaldeans and the astrologers for not being able to tell him his dream. And what does he immediately do? He says, kill every one of them. But this time, Nebuchadnezzar, he has a little bit of restraint here. He's ready to kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But apparently he remembers their service. And he says to them, guys, boy, you're making me mad, but I'm going to cut you a break. I'm going to play the music again just for you guys. And if you'll just go ahead and bow down, fine, good, no problem. We'll forget the whole thing. But if you don't, if you don't, I swear, I'm throwing you in a burning fiery furnace. That's his attitude. Nebuchadnezzar's angry too. He's not saying it in a calm manner. I imagine he's shaking. You ever been so mad you start shaking while he's talking to him? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego look right back at him and says this. We're not scared. I'm not worried to say it. But we're not going to worship your gods. You want to know who is the God that can save us from a burning fiery furnace? It's the God we serve. He is able to deliver us. But I hope that you paid attention to this. They were not expecting God to deliver them. He said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you want to know what God can deliver from a burning fiery furnace? Our God. But I'm not counting on it, Nebuchadnezzar, because I want you to understand this. If he chooses not to, we're still not going to bow down and worship that image. Why was that? Very simple. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 gives us the idea. Jesus said, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had spent so much time already in the presence of God, had experienced the blessings of God, and understood the power of God, that Nebuchadnezzar and all his power was nothing to be feared, even with his anger. But because of that, we see the attempted execution. The attempted execution. Look at verse number 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage which changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. In other words, heat it seven times hotter than it ought to be. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And by the way, there's no more hesitation. There's no more restraint. Listen to what it says in verse 21. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, that means their pants, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of fire slew those men, slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, I mean, in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So the fire was so hot that the men that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and, um, and Abednego into the fire were killed in the process of tossing them in. They didn't go into the fiery furnace. They just threw them in the fiery furnace. And those men died. There's some people trying to explain away the supernatural that say, well, in that furnace there could have been a cold pocket. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were just fortunate to land in one of those cold pockets in the midst of the furnace. After all, we do understand an old oven. Sometimes you have a little cold spot. If you're not careful... It won't cook something the way it's supposed to. The heat's just not that hot, as hot in certain places. Well, the problem with that is this. The men who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire died throwing them in. If they died throwing them in, then surely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have died going in. At least. But they did not. The Bible says in verse 24... Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonied. In other words, astonied, by the way, is just an old way of saying astonished. Astonied and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. Nebuchadnezzar asked the question. Again, how many did we throw in that fire? And it says in verse 25, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose and walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like unto the Son of God. So let's look at this. Who was the fourth man in the fire? Who was the fourth man in the fire? Well, we have a hint to it right here in verse 25. Nebuchadnezzar says that the fourth man, the form of the fourth, is like unto the Son of God. Who was the fourth man in the fire? Jesus Christ. Now, we need to look at parallels between the Old Testament and the New. Last week when we were discussing Daniel chapter 2, I talked about 
the parallel between Daniel and Joseph in the book of Genesis. Concerning this right here, the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, there is a parallel story in the Old Testament. And in order to find it, we have to go back to Exodus chapter number 3. Exodus chapter number 3. You know the story. The Bible says in verse 1, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush, was bur- the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Did you hear the story? What are we talking about right here in Exodus chapter 3? The burning bush. Moses sees the burning bush. And what does he see about the burning bush? The bush is on fire, but the leaves are not shriveling up. There's no evidence that it's being affected by the fire. It's just a bush burning but not shriveling up. He says, I have to see what in the world, what is this thing? He turns and he goes over to it. But the important part of this I want you to see is verse number 2, the very beginning of it. Notice what it says. And who appeared to him? And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, where? In a flame of fire. Now some of y'all probably already know this from your study of the Bible, but in the Old Testament... When you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, who is that? It's Jesus every time. Who appeared to Moses in the flame of fire? Jesus did. Who appears in the flame of fire amongst the three Hebrew children? Jesus. Now when he appeared to Moses, there was a bush in the fire. What happened to the bush? It didn't burn, did it? When Jesus appears in the fire in Nebuchadnezzar's day, who's in the fire with him? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what happened? They didn't burn. They didn't burn. In fact, the ropes burned because the Bible says they were cast bound into the midst, verse number 23. But it says here in verse number 25, that Nebuchadnezzar said, we threw four men, I meant three men bound, but I see four men loose, walking around in the midst of the fire. Very carefully, I imagine, but in verse 26, the Bible says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth. And come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and all the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men upon whose body the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed upon them. What do we see here? We see a smokeless deliverance. No, I've been around fire. I have to barbecue over at my house every once in a while. Finally, my wife says, break out the grill. You're going to cook some chicken or steak or what have you. When I get out there and I start grilling, I come back in and I smell like smoke. When you're around a fire, 
You can't help but being affected by it. You're going to smell like smoke. But the three Hebrew children, they come out, and they have no fire on them. Their coats are not blackened with soot or fire damage. Hey, the hairs on their head are not singed. They're walking around and guess what? They don't even smell like smoke. The fire had no effect upon them. But here's the amazing thing. Remember the math. Three were thrown in. Four walked around. But only three walked out. Where did Jesus go? Here's the amazing thing. Jesus is still in the fire. An application from that is always remember this. When you're in the fire, being tested by your faith, never think that you go it alone. But whenever you're in the fire, Jesus Christ is in the fire with you. He's walking with you. He will stay with you. And He will never, never leave you. No matter how hot it gets. And I think it's amazing. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar had men go and throw them in. But he stayed back when they came out. He said, now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we threw you into that fire. Would you do us a favor and just come on out? Nobody went to get him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked on out of the fire. And those people who failed to take a stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego beheld him. Notice what it says in verse 27. The princes, governors, captains, and king's counselors, they're standing there also. They're gathered together with them. They see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the same men that are accused, that accused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego earlier in the chapter. They saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing when everybody else bowed. And now they're looking at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in a way, they're going to have to bow their head a little bit while Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand. Because they see the power of the God they worship. We see Nebuchadnezzar's praise in verse number 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they might not um, serve nor worship any god, except their own God. So right here we see the praise. He recognizes God and recognizes the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the most important part of this chapter in the history of Israel comes in verse number 29. What is the purpose behind this entire story? Why did it happen? We always hear the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and sometimes we just don't understand Why the story happened? Why did God perform such a great miracle here? Was it just to amaze Nebuchadnezzar? No. There was a purpose and a benefit to his people and why he did this. Notice what it says in verse 29. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the provinces of Babylon. So they get a promotion for their great stand. They're promoted again. 
But here's the reason, not to get them a promotion, but here's the reason why this miracle occurred. Nebuchadnezzar's decree gave the Jews the freedom to worship in Babylon without fear of persecution. Notice what it said in verse 29. If anyone says anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to be cut in pieces. And I'm going to make their house a dunghill. In other words, I'm going to turn your house into a landfill if you say anything against their God. And this gave the Jews the freedom to worship their God without any fear of persecution. That's why God did it. He's constantly mindful upon His children. Even in a time of punishment, God is showing Himself powerful. What does He do? He makes Daniel into, for their day, a new Joseph, showing His power through him, revealing that He's still working with His people even when they are being punished. And for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, He shows Himself powerful, making a parallel between their story and the story of the burning bush, going all the way back to the great lawgiver, the greatest man in Jewish history next to Jesus Christ, Moses himself, that man. These three Hebrew children, their story parallels it. And what does God say? I delivered you one time from captivity in Egypt. I'm going to deliver you again. I have not forgotten you. When God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush, I remember him saying this. He told Moses, I've heard the cries of my people and I am going to deliver them. In Babylon, he still heard the cry of his chosen people. And what do we see here? In our lives, no matter what we are going through, God hears our prayers. He sees our situation. He knows our heartache. And He will not leave us alone. He will deliver us. He will be faithful to us. And He will see us through to the end. He will never leave His children alone. Isn't that a blessing? Amen. Next week, we'll look at Daniel chapter number 4. I hope it's been a blessing to you, Brother Wayne.